This is Berkeley Voices. I'm Ann Bryce. Growing up in New York City, Roque Montez remembers his family's weekly schedule very well. The dinner was at six. Uh, if we had any studies that we hadn't completed, they, that was to start at 6.30, 7 o'clock. And then from 7 to 8, we had that one hour of television, and then it was promptly to bed at 8 o'clock. So time, at least during what we call the regular work week, was of utmost importance. We then, I'm, I'm from a, a family of five, and we shared one bathroom. So we had to coordinate schedules in the morning, right? Everybody had to get up, get showers, get dressed, have breakfast, and then out the door for school. So we were constantly on a schedule. As a kid, Roque was interested in everything. Dinosaurs, science, music and dance, martial arts, comics. And his calendar filled up fast. Karate was on Wednesdays and Saturdays. He was an avid reader and joined every book club he could find. He tutored younger students in English and history, and he worked a part-time job in reception at a barbershop in town, Tuesday through Friday. Now, uh, during the weekend, that was a different matter entirely. Outside of church, which started at 1030, um, we pretty much had that time to ourselves. However, we were allowed to sort of go as far and wide as we wanted to, but we had to be inside before the streetlights came on. He spent a lot of time at a nearby park with his siblings and friends playing games, kickball, softball, tag, until dark. Sometimes he'd show off his karate moves to the neighborhood kids, who were all into Bruce Lee and were definitely impressed. And then on Sundays, his mom, dad, three sisters, and brother would all go to church. We started at 10.30, probably didn't get out of there much before 2 o'clock. And if there was a special program to be had or a visiting pastor or choir, you came back in the afternoon for another three hours. So it really was a... It really was a day-long affair. But again, very grounding, very beneficial. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't appreciate all of that at the time, but I certainly do now. So Roque had a lot going on every week. And now, as executive director of communications and media relations in UC Berkeley's Office of Communications and Public Affairs, he still does. He leads a team of 10 and is responsible for setting the editorial direction and vision for the unit to define, articulate, and effectively broadcast the vision, goals, and successes of the university. He's also responsible for creating a high-level strategy for communicating the university's excellence and distinction while also helping to navigate and respond to unanticipated events. In other words, he's still busy. To manage all of his activities and responsibilities throughout his life, Roquet has relied on something that we all rely on, the seven-day week. David Henkin is a professor of history at Berkeley and author of the 2021 book, The Week, a history of the unnatural rhythms that made us who we are. Hankin says the week has been used as a timekeeping unit and calendar device to organize society for about 2,000 years, since the first century CE. And everyone says to me, oh, that's really recent. I don't know, to, to me, since I think of the week as uh, technology, in some ways an industrial technology, 
I think it's, wow, that's really old, right? Uh, it's really only in, in the last 150 years that it's become a global calendar unit. So some, many parts of the world really didn't have it uh, until a few hundred years ago. And um, some parts didn't have it until, until maybe 100, 150 years ago. And it's, I think, only really in the last 200 years in America that it's come to, to have the kind of grip it has over our daily lives. With urbanization beginning in the early 1800s, says Hankin, massive numbers of Americans began to have practical and important reasons to distinguish between days of the week. It turns out to be a complicated story. Lots of things constructed the modern week, you know, train schedules and uh, mail schedules and voluntary association schedules and school schedules, whereas we usually think that the schedule that shapes the modern week is simply the schedule of work and, and rest. But I suspected from the start and confirmed early on that the week did all kinds of other things for uh, 19th century Americans and for us today that are not simply about work and rest and are not simply about the sacred and the profane. It's always done many things. But the one new thing that I think it really began doing in the early 1800s was providing a schedule to coordinate activities and especially to coordinate activities with strangers. People began to have lives where they might go to a singing group on Fridays or volunteer on Tuesdays. Baseball teams would share fields, playing games on different days of the week. So it becomes this sort of massive logistical device that's used to, to sequester activities or to coordinate activities or to regulate the frequency of activities. And then once you have that, all the participants and all the spectators and all those activities begin to have lives that are even further attached to the week. In researching the role the week played in people's lives in 19th century America, Hankin read thousands of documents over about 13 years. There were two different types of documents that he looked at. Public documents that he could use to reconstruct what town or city life was like, including newspapers, court records, city directories, ads for the theater, things like that. And then there were the documents that showed how people personally kept track of their time, like diaries, letters, and memoirs. The diary is the single document type I used most, and it's probably the most important to me. Uh, it's also the most unwieldy. So many people kept diaries. A, a diary entry is a story people tell about their lives that they set in time, even if it's a very simple story like, you know, milk the cows or visit my sister. And so those became very valuable uh, documents to be figuring out not only what people did, but how they mentally mapped their lives. Hankin says that diary keeping became a mass activity in the 19th century, but it was much more popular among certain groups. I'd say that it was more popular among young people than old people. It was especially popular among people who aspired to middle-class status. Keeping a diary was was one of many sort of symbols of middle-class respectability. So it's especially common among you know, young white Protestant native-born clerks, for example. But he says it is hard to say for sure who was keeping diaries and who wasn't because of preservation bias. Although for his book, Hankin cast a wide net examining diaries from across the country, he could only look at diaries that had been preserved maybe because they contain details about a time of general interest, like the Civil War or the Gold Rush, or maybe because they were written by a person with more privilege and status in society. 
So while it gives us a view of who was writing diaries at the time, it doesn't give us a full picture. In the early days of the pandemic, Roquet was feeling out of sorts, along with the rest of us. Every morning, he'd get dressed and would try to recreate his work office at home. And I began to feel like, this is ridiculous. I'm fully dressed, really, top to bottom, shoes and everything for about a month. And then realize, hmm, maybe we don't have to do this. We can relax a little bit. I'll still appear, at least from what folks see, to be professionally dressed. So, yes, that was, that was, that took some adjusting. Our weekly routines were suddenly disrupted. Days kind of started to blend together. Hankin says that this makes sense because we use the seven-day week to shape our memories and our sense of passing time. And so one way I think about it is that, you know, in the world that uh, you and I live in, Anne, if we think it's a Wednesday and discover in the middle of the day there's a Thursday, that's pretty disorienting. It's not only that it's usually inconvenient because it will cause us to miss an appointment or do the wrong thing. It's that we feel suddenly kind of cut loose from from time or from other people or even from our own memories. And that's probably the thing that I became most persuaded of over the course of my research is that the modern week really is intimately connected with human memory, with the frailty of human memory, but also the, uh, the power of human memory to sort of anchor us in time. The reason that it can be so easy to lose track of the week, says Hankin, is that it's not attached to anything. It's not like we can look outside and see that it's Tuesday, like we can see that it's nighttime. The week depends on us keeping a record. I like to point out that it's artificial to get people to recognize that it's a technology that does things. I don't think the fact that that the week is uh is unnatural, makes it more, more dispensable or more pernicious or more, or more useful even. I think it's just an interesting thing about it that reminds us that very clearly societies make decisions and make rules and reinforce habits. And those things are as powerful in our lives as the, as, as the heavens or, or the limitations of our bodies. For Roquet, new weekly routines are now in place, and he's adjusted to a different normal, like we've all had to. And although the week still plays a big role in his life, like it does for almost everyone in the world, he says there will be a time in the next few years when his schedule won't matter anymore, when he simply won't care what day of the week it is. I've got a few years left before retirement with any luck, fingers crossed. That is indeed the time where I will fling schedules behind me and every day will be an open canvas. I, I have every expectation that I'm going to retire to Belize and on the water right? My favorite place, warmth and water. And that's where I will be and, and live out the remainder of my days. And that means no schedule, right? That means get up, see a beautiful sunshine, right? Roaring waters. And I will do 
hell, we'll see what's supposed to happen each day. I'm Ann Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley news podcast from UC Berkeley's Office of Communications and Public Affairs. The illustration for this episode is by Neil Fries. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you listen. If you like what we do, follow us and leave us a rating and a review. New episodes come out every other Friday. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.